Hello, everyone. Dr. Stillman with Clark Engelbert here today. We are gathered to talk about heavy metals, a hidden cause of modern diseases. If you follow us, you may or not may not realize that they are not so hidden. We see them all the time. I've got some HTMAs from people I've worked with to show you how much these heavy metal metal levels can change in the hair. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to talk about the basic concepts behind this and why it's so honestly such a misunderstood element or area of medical science. So Clark, thanks for joining me today. Anything you want to add to that little intro? Yeah, I, I would say that I think metals are, there's a lot of um, vague information out there about metals. There's not a lot of depth when we look at like, even in medicine or in the alternative health space, there's not a lot of depth on this issue. Part no. of this has to do with its complexity. Part of it has to do with how many fields of science it cuts across. Metals, you know, are studied in meteorology, they're studied in um, agriculture, they're studied in uh, a lot of different disciplines. So it cuts across a lot of different disciplines to really fully understand them. And then there's a lot of really dense literature in the bio inorganic chemistry uh, field talking about how metals and minerals interact with each other. So there's, um, you know, basically in this in this space, there's just a not not a lot of really good information on metals and then certainly the solutions to detoxify heavy metals are maybe even worse um you know so um lots of opinions not a lot of really firm scientific knowledge right. very unfortunate but this, right. the state of the world i would yeah. also add that it, it a lot of it is due to the way that doctors are trained how they think about these things and then what the biases are in what gets investigated more in modern medical science you know, there's not, no one's making their career making uh, or uh, looking into um, things like, you know, the like heavy metals and their contribution to chronic disease. They're making their money in their lab and they're making their grants from the NIH or whoever um, from other stuff that's more attractive to the powers that be who are going to make a fortune off the next big blockbuster drug. Um, I also want to add, by the way, today that we have got a hair tissue mineral analysis course uh, that has a coaching component that is going to be opening enrollment in the next week. If you don't know about that, go to my link tree, click on Dr. Stillman's special offers. If you scroll to the bottom of the page, there's a link to the HTMA course with coaching that will take you to the waiting list. The people who get first dibs on joining the course are on the waiting list. So if you want access to the course with coaching, join the waiting list. We expect to sell out before our webinar uh, at the end of the month, which I can't remember the, the topic at the end of the month but it's going to be great. And it's going to be about minerals. Yeah. Something in that, in that, uh, in that realm. But I'll also want to say there was a lot of um, better research being done on metals in like the seventies and eighties. There was a couple of really enterprising folks researchers yes. by the name of uh, Landrigan and Grand Jean who discover the subclinical effects of lead mm -hmm. on, uh, on kids. And that's part of the reason why they removed lead from the gasoline in in the seventies. And there was a, a, an explosion of research af after those initial findings. Well, I think that was also fueled by the fact, if you talk to people who are insiders at the NIH, they'll tell you that the, that the NIH went bad in the 1980s. It became very much a vehicle for political agendas. Yeah. And so the research changed in its, in its character dr dramatically around that time. And last 40 years, 50 years has really been highly, highly focused on the dominant allopathic drugs and surgery paradigm and anything that threatens that you tend to get your funding cut, you know, and then there's researchers like Robert O. Becker who looked into things, you know, he was very interested in mineral metabolism because of the role of minerals in bone development. And he got his funding yanked when he started to ask the wrong questions about how electromagnetic frequencies in the environment might be affecting human health, which we see playing a role or we believe is playing a role in a lot of the altered mineral dynamics and metal levels that we see in, in, in practice. So, but let's start at the, basically the beginning really, which is yeah. why heavy metals are bad. And the re the, what people need to understand about heavy metals. And this actually goes back to something we were just talking about the seventies and the eighties is this great time for some of the scientific research. I'll never forget reading this quote from Linus Pauling. He said, you can trace every chronic disease to a mineral deficiency. Mm -hmm. I'm paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that stuck with me in my medical training because I thought, well, if that's true, then, you know, I really should probably learn how to use minerals clinically. 
but it took me a long time to get to this level of what we do now with the HTMA coaching course, mm -hmm. where we explain to people all these dynamics and all the things you'll see coming out in the hair and how you actually balance people's minerals, because it is way more complicated than most people have been led to believe. And it's much more complicated than most people have the patience to learn when it comes to practitioners or coaches or whatever, which is why they'll make so many mistakes. And it's funny, just in the last couple of weeks, I've had two people come to me and say in my practice and say, you know, I tried magnesium and it made me feel depressed or it made me feel like I was slowing down or like I just couldn't get out of bed or I just, I didn't like how I felt on it, mm -hmm. which is so funny because most people have that simplistic idea of, oh, magnesium gives you energy, right. makes you feel better, runs your brain, runs your metabolism, blah, blah, blah. Give it to everyone, right? There's a solid argument to be made for that, but you find when you start to dig deeper into this that it's more complicated than that. But, mm -hmm. but I digress. Heavy metals compete with minerals, and heavy metals derange cellular metabolism. And I take people back to this the example of mercury. If you look at the most toxic form of mercury, a quantity of that toxic form of mercury that could fit on the end of your thumb could uh -huh. kill you outright. <clears throat> And that's happened. Researchers in the labs dealing with very toxic levels or very toxic varieties of mercury, they've dropped one or two drops on their skin. It's been absorbed very quickly and, and pushed out into the circulation, and it's killed them outright. Mm -hmm. And you can't find another class or category of toxins, poisons, natural substances that is more toxic pound for pound than heavy metals. And that's why we see such powerful effects in people when we give them the minerals that help them detoxify those metals, the vitamins that help them detoxify those metals and help get them into the right diet and lifestyle where their body can not only can, can also, that also assists them in detoxifying and getting rid of these toxic heavy metals and then getting the right minerals into the mix so that they can actually run all their vital physiologic processes. Yeah. Yeah. And you're hitting at, I think maybe the most important point about heavy metal metabolism and just the understanding of how metals exert their toxic effects on people, right? Because it's like, well, what are metals doing? Like they're vaguely bad, but metals and minerals interact in this larger mineral system. And there is this concept in the literature. It's a very like heady concept, but it's called ionic mimicry. And mm -hmm. essentially all it means is that metals mimic your minerals in certain situations. Um, and so all of the things that the minerals are supposed to do in your body, which are many, right? Hundreds and thousands of processes are, uh, are run and even many, many more, but individual minerals are responsible for hundreds of different processes or even thousands in the case of like zinc. So to the extent that the metals can replace these minerals where they're supposed to be in the body and for those processes that they're, that those minerals are normally charged with accomplishing, you're going to have a lot of different sorts of dysfunction that can uh, result from these metals interacting and replacing these minerals. Um, and so there's a couple different ideas to really consider when we talk about ionic mimicry. And the first, and I would say maybe the most important is that there are no homeostatic control mechanisms for metals in the body in the same way that you have calcium channels or you have uh, absorptive molecules in the gut for all of your divalent metals. The body has evolved an elaborate system of controlling and absorption of the minerals, but that does not exist for the metals. So it sort of begs the question when metals, how do metals get inside of you and how do they get into certain tissues? We they, might as well just show the periodic table. Yeah. Let's just get into it. To uh, explain this because it's, it, it, when you look at the periodic table, it becomes obvious. Yes. Zinc. And pe for people who don't know, these, these vertical columns, these elements are very similar. So zinc has a very similar electron, electron configuration in its outer shells. And don't worry, there won't be a test later. I'm just trying to communicate the big concepts here. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you'll see zinc is very similar to cadmium. So if you put cadmium into a system, the same enzymes, the same molecules, same things that try and grab the zinc are going to tend to grab the cadmium. And if you think about it, enzymes and systems in your body are a little bit like if you, and just the word grab, the word grab in Greek is, is chelate. And the word chelate in medicine means literally to grab. 
when we try to chelate a heavy metal that's poisoning someone, what we're trying to do is we're putting a chemical into the body or a substance into the body that's going to grab that metal and suck it back out of the system so it's no longer derailing cellular metabolism. Mm -hmm. And so that's the whole idea. And imagine if you had, if you were, if you were blindfolded and I gave you a bucket of different, you know, tools or I don't know, screws, nails, whatever. And I said, look, you know, try and find the, I don't know, hammer and you pick out the wrong type of hammer, right? You made a mistake. And just as in the same way, the enzyme is trying to grab the zinc and it gets, you know, the wrong type of hammer or, right. or the cadmium in this case. Right. And that's how these mistakes happen. And this is a really, really big deal because if you look at what happens, uh, you know, at the, at the cellular, uh, molecular level, when people are talking about all these new buzzwords in medicine, like mitochondria and energy and bioenergetics and all this stuff, all of that happens through minerals. And I always go back into my, uh, to my, my inorganic chemistry class days when my professor said, when I was going through training 20 or 30 years before me, and I was going through inorganic chem 17, 18 years ago, mm -hmm. he said, they told us that 15% of, of enzymes worked with minerals. And now we think it's 45%. Well, 20 or 30 years later, right? Just do the math. It's 70, right. 80, 90%. Who knows how, what proportion of our minerals of our enzymes, excuse me, work with minerals, but particularly the ones that we're talking about that we look at in HTMA, mm -hmm. chromium, manganese, iron, copper, zinc, people die when these reach critical levels. Yep. And before they die, they feel like trash. Yep. And this is one thing that happens. I mean, virtually everyone who comes to see Clark or I, or people we've trained, they've already been to a bunch of doctors. They've already Googled their symptoms. They've already tried to figure it out. They've taken a bunch of this, that, and the other thing to try and get out of this, the, the fix they're in. Uh, and they don't understand why they don't feel well. And it's because these things are deranged enough to make them sick, but not enough to make them dead, which is how you end up if you don't have any of them around. Right, right, exactly. So yeah, just understanding in the first place, like metals are getting into your body through mineral channels and transporters. Yes. And then the the sort of corollary to that or the logical conclusion to this is that if you have imbalanced minerals, certainly minerals that are in uh, deranged relationship to one another or just over deficiency states, the metals bioaccumulate more rapidly in those deficiency and imbalanced states. So that's another very important point when we look at like and Haynes data on, you know, all the nutrient defici deficiencies that are out there. I think it was estimated the average American has at least 10 nutrient deficiencies um, all happening at the same time. Yeah. Right. So, you know, these metals are, are getting sucked up a lot more rapidly in those deficiency states. Um, and then they're actually once they're in the body, you were kind of hinting at this the enzymes and the proteins that the minerals are normally used for, the metals are being used on those enzymes and proteins. And then it becomes very difficult for the body to release them. Yeah. This is another really important point. And part of why, you know, maybe a lot of chelating methods don't work um, is that- Did you the bring these papers on this today? What's up? Did you bring the papers on ionic mimicry today? <clears throat> we, can, we can look them up really quickly. Yeah. Uh, I, I know a lot of them. Um, if you want to search in Google, just well, search. I just want to let people know this is not like the world according to Dr. Stillman and Clark Engelberg. Right. Like we didn't make this up to this morning for this presentation. This right. is a real thing in the literature because when I first heard this, I thought this is like bizarre. You're telling me that cadmium can make the enzyme that uses zinc work, mm -hmm. but it turns out that this is something people have published on. Yep. You know, in the eighties. So in the eighties, right. Before we were even born, I was even born. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, same, same, same. So, uh, yeah, so so in some sense, like the metals are toxic at very, very small doses at the smallest dose, right? But they can actually become conditionally essential if you are in a very serious like zinc deficit or chromium deficit or whatever, and that metal is substituting on uh, that enzyme for that mineral. So it, the body is very reticent to release those metals because they're actually sort of keeping you alive in the short term. They're sort of like a, an adaptive mechanism in some sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so the thing that I think people um, don't understand or don't readily realize about 
you know, how this is affecting their health is that it's not going to necessarily happen overnight. You know, you don't break the old thermometer that, you know, you inherited from grandma because we don't even make thermometers with mercury anymore, but you don't break the thermometer and then suddenly have an overwhelming dose of mercury. I mean, if that does happen to you, that's a real thing, mm -hmm. but we're chronically accumulating these metals yes. from the environment. And as we do that, they get into our cells, they get into our soft tissues. And this comes back to something you said earlier about the fact that people are, are malnourished, even according to, you know, conventional and Haynes data. And that, you know, let's talk for a minute about what it means to be properly nourished. It doesn't mean to not have a very low level of a mineral or a vitamin. It means to have an optimal level of a mineral or a vitamin. That's what being properly nourished really means. Mm -hmm. And that's an area where there can be a lot of debate. You know, should we be shooting for a serum copper level level of 95 or 110, you mm -hmm. know, and we're not here to debate that today, but what we'll tell you, frankly, is that a lot of people uh, conclude that they don't have nutritional deficiencies or imbalances because their blood levels are normal. And right. what I explained to them is that the normal is being set by people who are very sick. Mm -hmm. Magnesium is a great example of this. Mm -hmm. So the normal for magnesium, and I forget the units, but it's 1.6 to 2.2 or 2.3 on the lab core scale. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand that this number is being set by people who do not take magnesium supplements, do not eat a magnesium rich diet, and the vast majority of magnesium levels are being done on patients who have serious cardiovascular diseases mm -hmm. or a risk for, for them. Because a typical reason to, to run a mag level in like a hospital setting is that the patient presents with a cardiac arrhythmia, which would be a, an end result, a very advanced finding right. of heart disease, right? So if that's your normal, right, that would be, uh, that is a, a bad sample of normal. That would be like saying, oh, your car is as fast as, every other 10 year old Honda Civic. Well, if you want a, a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, that Honda Civic is not fast to you. And mm -hmm. so it's silly to make these, these, uh, and you and I work, I think, I don't know to what, what extent this is true of you, but we work with people who are very, I know we at my practice tend to work with people who are very driven. They're used to running at 75, 85 miles an hour through life. Mm -hmm. And they are frustrated by having to go 55, in the slow lane, mm. you know, and that's part of why they want us to balance their minerals and help them get rid of these heavy metals that are quite literally slowing them down. Mm. So being optimally nourished has a lot more to do with what's in your tissues and what's in your blood, because your, your blood is a very small space, mm -hmm. five, six liters of blood, right? Let's say that five to six liters of blood is, you know, 10, 15 pounds, 10% of your body weight, maybe. I mean, I can't do the math off the top of my head and quite frankly, it's academic, but five to six liters of blood is almost nothing compared to your total body volume, right? You've got a huge amount of, of, of space. And what I, the, the analogy I'll often draw with people is I'll say, look, your blood is a little bit like your body's checking account. If there's mm -hmm. a nutrient that's truly low in your blood, which I will catch in my practice on a regular basis, mm -hmm. if there's a nutrient that's truly low, it's very low and that's a problem. Mm -hmm. And we need to ask questions about why it's that low. Mm -hmm. Is this a calorie mismatch? Are you not eating the right foods? Mm -hmm. Are you eating something that inhibits its absorption? Do you have a malabsorption problem due to GI issues, right? But most people's blood levels are relatively normal. With magnesium and things like that, we can say, okay, you're better off taking a magnesium supplement because it'll take you from, you know, typical cardiac ICU patient up to average show public walking around the street and that's a big improvement right but beyond that optimal nourishment is is a very different a very different thing mm -hmm. so that's why you and i look at the hair yes the hair if the blood is like a checking account you know a, a millionaire or a billionaire might have only a thousand dollars in their checking account because they might not you know they might run the balance down or whatever but that's not reflective of their net worth you know you get people with a net worth that varies from 10 to hundred to a thousand fold, right? Mm -hmm. And they have the same amount of money in their checking account. So drawing conclusions about their net worth from that alone is what I tell people drawing conclusions about your nutritional status is like when you just do a blood level. And that's where the hair has become a game changer in my practice because we see all these levels of other nutrients in the hair, which is really more reflective of their tissue level. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's, and that's part of, I think, Maybe we can uh, open up the discussion on the way in which you can measure metal metals since yeah. 
there's a lot of discrepancies and a lot of confusion on that point, especially. And it's very important for people to know that when you come into contact with metals, because the blood touches everything, once metals get into the blood, they are rapidly removed from the blood. And they are either, the body is doing its best to excrete those metals as quickly as it can, or store them in your tissues, right? Yes. And it, so it's one of those two things that's going to happen very quickly. So blood measurements for metals are decent in acute exposures and for maybe an exposure that you think happened like 24 hours ago, right? So there's, I'm not saying there's, and I don't think either of us would ever make this claim, but like there's, it's not like there's no usefulness for blood testing or some of these other testing mm -hmm. modalities, but the hair is a phenomenal way to test for metals because it's a tissue, it's a biopsy uh, uh, sample. And so what we wanna get a sense for, generally speaking, is your tissue status of these metals. And so we can use the hair as kind of like a proxy indicator for what's going on in the other tissues of the body, since it is a tissue itself. So that is actually much more efficient for determining your heavy metal status in the tissues than taking a blood level uh, urine is a little different. It's actually not a bad measurement of like the kidney status of some metals. Like a lot of people do urine challenge testing. Um, still not quite as good as hair because the hair is a very long-term type of test. Um, based on, and that's sort of due to the nature of hair growth, which it takes time to grow. Right. Right. Two to three weeks. Yeah. Generally speaking, because yeah. I don't know what you tell your people, but I tell them to use the the half inch of the hair that's closest to the scalp and to try and mm -hmm. get as close to the scalp as possible. Yep. So we're yeah. getting, you know, the last two to three weeks of, of growth. Exactly. Exactly. And if you get a little longer, you know, you can really measure about three to four months of, of deposition of the minerals and the metals into the hair. And so you can get a right. better, it's a, it's not only, so it's a cellular or biopsy test, right? We're getting some information about the cellular status of these elements, but then it's a long-term test. And that's right. really where what we're talking about today with heavy metals is subclinical chronic toxicity of these elements. It's not acute exposures, which if you were acutely exposed to any of these elements, you would go to the hospital and you would get, you know, intensive uh, medical care. Right. But for most people, uh, they're exposed to these metals slowly over time. They bioaccumulate very slowly in specific right. tissues. They alter your mineral status along the way. And and then over the course of years and decades, they slowly erode and degrade function in a lot of different systems in your body. So like brain function might suffer, kidney function might suffer, energy levels might go down, your sleep and might You might go to a doctor and they would say your labs are normal, your scans are normal, there's nothing wrong with you, go home and good luck. Exactly. And at least they're being honest with you about their opinion on your labs and your tests. But when, what woke me up to this and how you and I ended up teaming up and doing the HTMA course mm -hmm. with coaching is that I started to do these HTMAs in my practice because previous mentors of mine had alluded to the power of this test and I just never had time to really dig into it. Mm. And then I started to run it on some of my oldest patients and I started to see things that really made me very, um, well, I was intrigued. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And, uh, then I started to see, um, more and more of the complexity in it. And I thought, wow, this is a very interesting system. And then I came to you and I started to learn more about, you know, Dr. X work and how he did mineral balancing. And that's part of the beauty of, of hair, by the way, is that one of the limitations in practice is you can only get as good at interpreting a test as you get tests to interpret. Mm. So you give me somebody who's only seen 10 of a test. They have no context for that test. Right. Hundreds and thousands of tests later, and you know, and you figured out if you're taking good histories with your patients and you're paying attention and you're gathering a lot of data on your, on your, your cases, you're going to know what causes what and what's important. And some of this is in the literature, but it, with hair, it's not, it's all, uh, basically an anecdotal. It's all professional expert opinion. There's still a lot of controversy about this and it's a very small world, right? Of people who care at all about HTMA. Right. interpretation, but it's becoming more popular, I would say, because people see the value in it, particularly in a world where heavy metals are becoming more and more and more a part of the problem that are making people sick. Mm. And so, you know, the last, I don't know, year since I started to measure these levels, I started to notice, wow, I'm able to get better results by balancing these minerals 
than I was able to get before. And I'm seeing things in the hair that I wasn't seeing in blood labs, which really made me, and also urine, which made me think because the last thing you want to do is miss something important. Uh, and the, the blood and the urine, they're very transient. They change day to day, week to week, the hair, very consistent and very easy to obtain. So mm -hmm. I can run a hundred hair tests very easily. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more hassle and a much greater expense to do the same number and depth of urine or blood lab markers. And partly that's because you can ship hair through the mail. It doesn't go bad. Mm -hmm. Urine has to be frozen. Blood has to be spun, has to be kept on ice, has to be delivered in a certain period of time. You know, we FedEx all those samples to labs or they have to be couriered if it's local. Mm -hmm. So it's just a very different, and that enables us to then get more data out of the HTMA because we're able to order more of them and we're able to see more patients and we're able to actually figure out what's going on in it. Mm -hmm. I think um, another really important point, you know, we're talking about metals and their importance and how they affect human health. A very good question to answer would be, well, wh like, why are metals such an issue in the last hundred years or so, right? And I wouldn't even start then, because what one of my favorite things in in I, I'm a geek about medical history, mm -hmm. and if you go back to the ancient Roman Empire, they had problems with lead poisoning because they became very skilled at metallurgy, and they found that lead was an exceptional metal to work with because it's very right. easy to manipulate, it's very easy to roll, it's very easy to make piping out of. Yeah. But uh, people have hypothesized that part of why we got these late empire um, uh, emperors who were nuts, mm -hmm. Nero, Caligula, you know, Nero did some absolutely, what's right. really dysfunctional about this, and I wish it wasn't the case, is that a lot of those things that those crazy emperors did then are happening again now. Right, there's some parallels for sure. <laughs> there's some serious parallels because, you know, some of the things that we're doing in modern America and let alone the rest of the Western world, mm -hmm. they exactly parallel the environmental changes that happened in Rome, which was basically they got really good at getting ore out of the ground, refining it, extracting it. And then they had absolutely no concept of how toxic it was. Mm -hmm. So they would have, they had a lot of cases of lead poisoning. Uh, and they, they, they figured out and they described it very well. What you're hinting at is maybe one of the most important things for understanding why metals are in the environment now at such, mm -hmm. to such an extent. Yes. Metals are useful in industry. And so they Very are mined much. intentionally and they are used just absolutely ubiquitously, almost in, you can think of it in this sense, like metals are sustaining civilization as we know it in many ways, they are. Uh, hidden ways that you would never even consider, right? The Do burning. Tell. Do tell Clark. Okay. So mercury is in the oceans now sure. uh, at a level that we've never seen before. And all the fish yeah. are contaminated with mercury. It begs the question, well, why is that occurring? Mm -hmm. It comes back to mercury is used to burn fossil fuels and in Western countries, developed countries. When you say that, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a certain amount of mercury in fossil fuels. There is. And in the combustion process, they can add a little bit to- Get out of here. Yeah. It's sort of like they use nickel oh in the hydrogenation gosh. process for trans fats. They're using metals. Wow. Just when I thought it couldn't get any worse. <laughs> so oh so they're using metals it, but it, you can control for the spewing of the metals into the air by you know filtering actually the metals at the top of the smokestacks and that's what we do in the west and mm. a lot of developed countries but in non-developed countries in third world countries second world countries that are developing they don't care about this at all and so in China and India, particularly, they really don't care about this problem, yeah. right? And so they're spewing a ton of mercury and other metals into the air. What's fascinating about this is that it, the form of mercury changes every time uh, it gets spewed into the air. Elemental mercury gets spewed into the air. It gets changed into inorganic mercury in the air where it can exist in the atmosphere for up to a year. And then it rains down into the oceans where its form is changed again into methylmercury by fungal microorganisms that are methylating that inorganic mercury. And then it makes its way up the food chain, right? And then it gets into the small fish, the medium fish, the large fish and human beings. And so um, that's just one example of mercury being used in, you know, an industrial process. Arsenic is used to treat like uh, wood on your wood deck. 
Mm-hmm. Lead is used as an herbicide or a fungicide or a pesticide on the is crop. Is it still legal? Uh, I'd have to check on that. I think there's some there are some lead compounds that are used as uh, a pesticide. Arsenic as well. Still. Yes. Wow. Have the, you read The, the Moth and the Iron Lung? I have not, no. It's a great book. Yeah. Um, full of thought crimes and misdemeanors. Um, very interesting reading, very thought provoking. Strongly recommend it to anyone watching. But I mean, we've been using these heavy metals, you know, in agriculture since the 1800s when they figured out that if you spray enough arsenic and lead on the bugs that are eating your fruit, they'll all die. Yeah. Right. But what they didn't count on was that over the last 100, 150 years, since we really started to do that aggressively, we've seen an explosion in neurological disorders, both degenerative neurological disorders, but also um, developmental issues with children. Right. Yeah. Yes. You know, the problem with this, right, is that there's not a smoking gun. Mm. Uh, There's a lot of it's, you know, bioaccumulation. And and this is part of the, one of the things that people really need to wrap their heads around when it comes to their physiology and their health is that Mm. it's rarely just one thing that caused your problem. Right. Uh, you, you will have cases where, you know, uh, the, the guy who smoked five packs a day for 50 years finally had a heart attack. What a mystery. Right. Mm-hmm. But even within the cigarette, there's the smoke from the cigarette. There's actually cadmium in cigarettes. There's other heavy metals. Um, there's lots of other things, right. That can, that play a role in creating health and disease. And so the bioaccumulation gradually of heavy metals is what we see creating very, very different illnesses in different people. Mm-hmm. And that's why helping people clean up their environment and get rid of these sources and then helping them eat a diet that gives them the nutrition they need in order to get rid of it, as well as various other things you can do to help your body get rid of toxins, uh, mm-hmm. makes such a difference to their well-being. Um, and I want to go back to the point about metals in the environment really quickly. Mm-hmm. Something that people also don't know about metals, I, I think of metals as sort of like the holy grail of detoxification because they're so difficult to eliminate. They're so difficult to detoxify. Why? Because they're not biodegradable. So lead and nickel and cadmium and other elements, right. which we were using 50 years ago, are still in the environment. And the accumulation of those metals in the environment is cumulative year over year. So yes. the problem is worse and worse and worse as we use more metals right? Right. They become more ubiquitous in the soil. They're more ubiquitous in the air, more ubiquitous in the ocean. And so that problem is not, the aspect of that problem is not fully appreciated in, uh, in the public, right? So that is a very, very big problem. Like we're adding to that metal burden in the environment every year. Those metals are getting into these very important ecosystems, like in our food supply in the water, and we're getting more metals every year. And then as you bioaccumulate the metals, it has a similar effect. You cannot, you, your detoxification systems get more impaired, more impaired. And it's like this vicious cycle that's going on, not only with the environment, but with human beings as well on the, on the individual level. So mm. their non-biodegradability, like there's an isotope of nickel that has a half-life of 92 years. So wow. you could have nickel uh, accumulation coming from like your great grandmother that she accumulated, that she passed on through the generations. So it's an intergenerational thing as well, um, yes. you know, and there's some people in the alternative health space that pick up on that concept, just the generation thing, like Weston Price, Price Pottinger and those folks. Mm-hmm. This is also another uh, element of that, pun yeah. intended, because these are all <laughs> elements, right? Exactly. Yeah. Very interesting stuff. Very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... There's, there's been some, you know, not, I don't want to be alarmist here because we do have good solutions. Mineral balancing is a phenomenal solution, but I've looked at a lot of the literature looking at like remote locations around the world. And this, I think really puts a button on the severity of the situation. There, there, there's a lot of studies looking at like snow and soil samples in Antarctica, in Greenland. There was a a group of researchers that actually went up. This guy was a, a, he was a mountain climber. He doubled as a mountain climber. And uh, they they climbed up, him and his research, research team climbed 20,000 feet up on Everest. And they took snow and soil samples looking for cadmium, arsenic, and other metals. And they found really high levels of those metals 20,000 feet up on Everest. So- Yeah. And, and, and I remember reading about this. They did 
ice cores in I think the Arctic, and they were yeah. able to find, you know, the ice from the time of the Roman Empire. That's how much they were smelting metal in Roman Europe. And what's remarkable about that is if you think about it, Rome then was a village compared to what Rome is now. Right. Let alone all the other um, major metropolises of Europe. I mean, if Rome was relatively speaking at that time a village, London was like, you know, a two horse town, something right. really tiny. Right. So. Right. So yeah. another another really interesting fact, and maybe we can get into some specifics of like what metals cause, you know, what you might notice if you accumulate certain metals. Um, but another really interesting fact about metals is that they're biodegradable. They, they substitute for the essential elements, which is very important. But there's sometimes a latency period that exists from when you accumulate a metal versus when you show symptoms yeah. from that metal accumulation. So this is part of why... There's, there's so little attention paid to this problem because it's quite difficult to, like if you accumulate mercury or lead in utero, you might not actually show symptoms of that accumulation until later on in your teenage years. And so how could you tie like an anxiety disorder that's manifested in your teenage years to accumulation of mercury or lead 15 years or 20 years prior, you know, in utero? It's very difficult to pinpoint these problems, right? And it goes to, right. it goes to that, it's never usually one thing either metals are you're exposed to most of these elements so you're accumulating multiple of the metals and they're actually interacting with each other along with the minerals it's really interesting that you bring up the fact that they're not biodegradable right and so for people who don't realize this they're elements so you can't really degrade elements with chemical reactions you can only do that if you say mm -hmm. bombard them with radioactive isotopes like uh what am i thinking of um the name escapes me, but it's very, very difficult. And, and so you your body's not going to be able to break down the mercury you bioaccumulate. But we see so many people in the health and wellness space talking about mold toxins and biotoxins and this toxin and that toxin and this infectious pathogen and my chronic this and my chronic that. But a lot of these people don't realize that the body can degrade all of those things mm -hmm. and it can't degrade the metals. So I think that's another reason why. And remember, I, I pointed out in the beginning of the video that, a, you know, a dose of a certain type of mercury, the right type of mercury that fits on the end of your thumb can kill you outright. Mm -hmm. There's no other thing on planet Earth that's that toxic. Right. And, and that just speaks to how powerful these are in terms of destroying your body's um, physiology. So, yeah. um, Clark, do you have anything else you want to touch on before we go through some of the hair tissue mineral analyses that I've seen some big metal levels on from people? Um, I think just understanding that there is this interaction between the metals and minerals and mm -hmm. the minerals exist in a system inside of you. And that's kind of a big leap forward for a lot of people. Traditional nutritional sciences doesn't talk about that. There is a field that's cropped up in the last many years called ionomics, which is trying to really establish all of the specifics of those mineral relationships. So the minerals exist in a system. The metals also exist in that system as well. And they all interact with each other at all times. And you, you can't, in some sense, I think it's, uh, it's a misnomer to even think of like nutritional sciences and toxicology as separate fields because of this. It's silly. It is. I mean, but some I, of the stuff around this is so dumb. I mean, you and I talk about this a lot. Yeah. We talk about with the people we coach, mm -hmm. you know, for example, um, some states, they're like, oh, well, you prescribed someone a diet or you recommended a diet or a supplement to them. Well, you just practice medicine. And it's like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> like, you, like, can I not go down to like a 7-Eleven and tell someone not to drink a Slurpee because it's like loaded with sugar and artificial additives and it might be bad for them? Right. You know, can I not, can like your grandmother not tell you to drink chicken noodle soup because you've got the common cold? Like, right. what kind of country do you want to live in? Right. You know, this is just stupid. Um, But yeah, I mean, people want to just... People want to have, and this is one of the big problems in medicine is people have this idea of like, oh, we're going to have the specialist in toxicology and we're going to have the specialist in the heart and the specialist in the mm -hmm. gut and the specialist in whatever. I mean, how many people come to us with problems that span multiple different systems? They've got headaches in their brain. They've got abdominal pain in their gut. They've got shortness of breath in their chest. They've got Charlie horses or, or muscle stiffness in their lower extremities or their arms, right? Mm -hmm. And it's all connected by these things 
called minerals and heavy metals, and we see things on their HTMAs that allude to or give us clues as to why they've got this problem. Mm -hmm. And they go to all these subspecialists and they get no relief and they do something that's, I would describe it as holistic, right? We're looking at the whole system. And we really are not just talking about minerals and metals when we're, we're coaching or, 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 or when I'm as a doctor treating people, right? We're looking at what else could you be doing that's derailing this process, mm -hmm. whether it's their diet or their lifestyle or their environment or whatever. Um, all these things matter. And that's why you have to work with somebody when it comes to your health, who's going to actually put all those puzzle pieces together instead of just saying, oh, well, you know what? I don't know what's causing your headaches. Um, Cause I'm just your cardiologist or I don't know what's causing your, you know, right. your heart problems. Cause I'm just your GI doctor, or I don't know what about any of the, or, or the, or the, what's almost worse, which is, well, it can't be, you know, it can't be heavy metals because I would have learned that in school in my nutrition program. Right. 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 Exactly. So one thing I want to say about this, about these, about this, these interactions, mm -hmm. some people are kind of onto this, like they'll take, they'll drink like silica water. We talked about this yesterday yes. in our coaching call where some people are taking like individual minerals to try and displace like one metal. There's no, there's, that's not like totally incorrect, but what I'll say is that metals can substitute for multiple of the minerals, right? Because there's a range of similarities between the metals and their chemical characteristics and the minerals. So it's sort of really this idea that metals can substitute for multiple of the elements adds a sort of degree of importance to balancing the whole mineral system and not focusing in on any one individual element where a good example of this is like um, aluminum and silica. A lot of people are drinking Fiji water, silica rich water to try and displace their aluminum. And while that's actually, that's a substitution that does occur, aluminum does substitute for silica. Um, aluminum substitutes for calcium, magnesium, iron, and potentially zinc in other reactions. So you, if you're just taking silica to try and displace aluminum, that's being that's substituting for these other elements, you're not going to get anywhere, right? And it's going to, you're going to fall flat on your face. And so balancing the whole mineral system, all of these elements at the same time has a much more powerful effect at antagonizing and detoxifying these metals than like that individual or taking that single mineral approach. You can also be comfortable working at higher doses of the minerals because, right. you know, as we've talked about, I started out in nutrition using doses of, for example, zinc. 30 milligrams, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, or copper two milligrams. Mm -hmm. And that was what I was taught was adequate for most patients for a daily intake. If I wanted to supplement them, mm -hmm. but then I started to use the nutritional balancing protocols mm -hmm. worked out by people like Dr. Eck and Dr. Wilson mm -hmm. with much higher doses, like zincs up to 60, 70, 80, 90 milligrams a day, mm -hmm. which I wouldn't use lightly because they because <coughs> minerals interact. If you're taking minerals at high doses for long periods of time, it can create a lot mm. of derangements. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll see people with low coppers who have been taking a zinc supplement forever. Mm. You'll see people with high copper levels who've been taking a copper supplement for a long time. Mm. And so, and I've seen some high selenium levels. I've seen a lot of high levels over the years, which is why I think it's very important for people to understand that I think it's essential for you to do something to try and quantify where you are. Right. Do I see some people getting away with taking a multivitamin and feeling okay and doing well? Occasionally I do, but for the most part, I see them taking the wrong multivitamin. That's got not a good bevy of minerals in it for them, or they're the wrong form or whatever, or they're the wrong ratios, which can also create issues. Uh, and then they have no idea where their underlying health is. Um, and they're just taking things for things, you know, they're taking this supplement for that and this supplement for that, or this drug or this whatever. And it makes, it does not work well. It really right. doesn't, which is why it's so valuable to get. It's just, we've had rave reviews for our HTMA coach coaching and, and course, mm -hmm. uh, because we gave people this direction, we helped them understand what was going on and what the numbers were. And that's right. why I, I love taking care of people and getting them labs in my medical practice. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And that's, you know, that really doing the diagnostics, doing that HTMA and then repeating it, you know, every couple months, you're able to track, uh, you know, yes, see the changes like we're using. Actually, what we're doing is we're using the hair test to engage in what we call mineral balancing, which is an understanding of how these nutrients and minerals interact with each other. And so when you do that, you can balance the whole mineral system all at one time 
Right. And, and so you can actually see those changes occur on the retesting. And then you can see, like here on this test, you can see the metals being eliminated as well. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, this is an obvious segue into what we were going to talk about next, which is actual real data. Mm. These have obviously, the names have been changed. I've changed ages, dates, deleted lab numbers. So these are obviously de-identified. But we will see radically different numbers come out of people's hair. And for mm -hmm. those of you who have never looked at one of these before, which I assume you haven't, if you're just tuning into this. So what you see down here at the bottom row to the base of the screen, you see the previous test. And then you see up above it, you see the current, mm -hmm. current number. This was about three or four months between these two tests. Mm -hmm. Look at what you see. Mm -hmm. You see that many of the levels that were, were, um, uh, were low or now high. So this copper went from two to 6.4. Mm. Uh, the manganese almost doubled. The zinc stayed the same. The chrome's a little bit lower. Selenium is a little bit lower. Mm. If this doesn't impress you, then this should. Look at this change in the amount of aluminum coming Remarkable. out in this person's hair. Remarkable. So it goes from 0 0.39 to 8.57. This person went from feeling terrible to feeling much, much better over this period of time. They also added sauna and they were on a, a, a bevy of minerals, a mineral balancing protocol. Um, and that is what's responsible for these big shifts. We'll see it very, very consistently. Hmm. We don't see it so consistently that it's just like everyone three to four months into a program has got these huge levels of heavy metals coming out of the system. Hmm. But with long enough periods of time, we do see these big shifts and they are accompanied by sometimes feeling worse and then feeling better and sometimes exactly. just feeling better, which is obviously what we would hope for, but not what we can guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's, um, you know, we're using the retesting in this approach to track these metal eliminations basically, which I think is a maybe a somewhat underrated thing because in this alternative health space, there's not a lot of diagnostics going on to actually track the metal elimination process, right? Not a lot of people are doing 24 hour urine testing every single day, Right. Every single day. Well, right? well, this I think is why I think it's in the, in the blind spot of a lot of integrative and natural health exactly. practitioners who might otherwise be interested in this exactly. because I mean, and I hate to say this, but the functional integrative natural medicine space, uh, providers are under so much pressure hmm. and the cost of services has risen so much to keep track with inflation, frankly, and on also the cost of living, not to mention the ridiculous taxes, taxes we face now. Hmm. Um, that patients want, are trying to get more out of less. Right. And so practitioners are trying to just see as many patients as they can. And they're booked mm -hmm. out three to four months. And I, I haven't found that that approach where you're just seeing a huge volume of people every day works well. Mm -hmm. Um, people make it work and they do get some good results, but at the end of the day, it, it leaves a lot of practitioners not doing good follow-up, not, you know, right because what I do and, and the way I work with people, and, and this is very different from most of my colleagues in this space. If you're coming in, I want you to work with me for a year. Mm -hmm. And I actually was very intentional about that. I made my annual programs as affordable as I could afford to make them while still paying my staff and paying myself mm. uh, because I want to be able to see what happens at month three and month six and month right. nine and month 12, because what you'll find right. in people who go in for a, you know, one visit with an integrative, natural, functional medicine, doctor, coach, you know, practitioner of any kind, they'll often see two, three, four weeks of improvement. They won't have any follow-up until three to six months. Uh, they'll either bail or they'll continue, but they may not get any results at all. And mm. I didn't find that that worked. And yeah. part of why that doesn't work is that the level of, of education in this world of these practitioners is very mediocre, which is mm. part of why Clark and I decided to launch this program where we give people a much deeper dive into what's going on with these systems and what actually works in clinical practice, as opposed to what you'll, uh, what you'll be able to figure out from just reading the literature. We see a lot of armchair practitioners, people who read the literature, who read papers, who hypothesize and pontificate, but don't actually see patients right. um, pushing a lot of narratives out there that are, we see really hurting people because they don't take into account this whole system mm -hmm. that we're trying to impress the complexity of on you guys. Yeah. And I think what you're hitting at, too, is another really important point, which is that this approach, like this mineral balancing approach is a longer term approach for detoxification. And, you know, there's a lot of like detoxification approaches out there that are like two weeks detox tea or take chlorella for like a month or something or take zeolite or even a chelating agent 
synthetic chelating agent for a month and then you're good to go. Um, that's not how this program or system works. In some sense, it's a lot safer because of that. It's actually the balancing of the minerals is working with the body's own detoxification capacity. So it takes a little longer, but the results, as you can see here on this test, they're much more powerful, right? Um, right. Which is maybe a, a one thing I really want to talk about um, a little bit today is that many chelating agents cannot cross cell membranes and so they cannot chelate metals from inside the cells so that's a huge difference between mineral balancing versus like chelating agents like dmps or dmsa which both are insufficient in that regard they don't cross cell membranes they can't detox metals from inside the cells like you can with mineral balancing and so it's yeah. much more powerful in this way it takes a little longer but it's a lot more powerful and it's in my opinion much safer as well yeah i mean you know and the goal here right is give the body what it needs so that it can do what it has to do with the things that it naturally doesn't want your right. body is naturally going to try and push these things out when it's good and ready right. so you should be very wary of trying to hustle that process along if you're not giving it what it really needs and we see tons of people making basic bread and butter diet lifestyle mistakes they hmm. don't understand all the fundamentals because admittedly there's a lot of noise and confusion out there what's important what do you need to do how do you need to do it i mean we get i mean i'm always blown away by what people bring to our coaching calls that they're doing that they think is healthy that we have to sort of say well wait a minute hmm. for you that's not right or for sometimes for almost no one is is what they're doing right hmm. um so yeah, should we go over another couple of these? Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, just showing the way that this works is so powerful. Yeah, I mean, and this is another one. Uh, in this one, you see the aluminum level has quadrupled. Uh, the mercury level actually came down. And so you'll see this often, right? These numbers will bounce around. Right. Uh, but if you do this long enough, you will see some big spikes in people for the heavy metals. Which is exactly um, what we're looking for, you know, and... Right. Uh, I think I, I can notice right off the top, like the sodium potassium ratio looks like it got much better on this follow-up test, which is a mm -hmm. huge indicator for cellular electrical potential. Um, and as that, I see that more commonly in my practice than anything else, as people's sodium potassium ratio comes into balance, which is kind of a complex topic, uh, maybe not for this uh, discussion, but as that parameter comes into balance. We teach that in the course. So we if do. you want to learn more about that, sign up. Cause that's one of the things that we don't, I don't know if we'll ever put that out beyond the paywall just because people right. don't, it's a level of complexity that, that the general public's not ready for without some additional context. Right. Right. Exactly. So, but that parameter improving that mineral parameter, right. I see, look, we're seeing a huge manganese elimination. Copper is starting to come out toxic and bio right, so manganese copper. about tripled, right. Yep. Copper then, tripled. Yeah. And then this is why we're very wary of telling people or hearing people. And this is what we did our webinar on last month. We talked about, mm -hmm. which if you haven't looked at, it's, you know, the first Thursday of September, mm -hmm. we did a uh, talk on copper toxicity, which we see so many people out there today pushing copper, pushing beef liver. Mm -hmm. You know, we we're very aware of the nutritional value of beef liver, copper, B vitamins, but whew, you'll get all these people who come in they have these low coppers initially, and then they start to push mm -hmm. out massive amounts of copper in the hair. Yep. And it's you know, you, and there are many physicians have, have talked about using say copy copper chelators mm -hmm. or things that compete with copper, like zinc therapeutically and seeing these big shifts, big improvements in how patients function, feel and perform. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say an important point about this is that this person was not taking copper. I can tell just based on the patterns on her test or on this test. Yeah, absolutely not. So, so she wasn't taking copper, but then her copper level spikes up. And right. so it begs the question, like, <laughs> it's coming from a bio-unavailable copper elimination uh, yeah. being excreted through the hair. Yeah, and here's another one. This one, uh, you don't see the copper elimination starting. You know, I, I mentioned these bounce around, right? Here you're seeing that the copper is stable. But this right. is another one where the manganese level quadrupled Clark mentioned the elimination of lead from gasoline. For those of you who don't know, yes. they used to dope our gasoline with lead because it helped it to combust. Yep. Um, and they stopped doing that when they realized that lead poisoning was gradually destroying the American IQ and the American health in general. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, and so they replaced it with manganese. 
Yep. And what we see now is I see an epidemic of manganese toxicity, especially in people. We've talked about this on the group coaching calls. You know, there are sometimes we'll see like high levels of manganese and we'll ask our, our people, where are they living? And they'll say like New York City or something or yeah. like big metro area. Right. Being in a big urban area like that is a big risk factor because you're constantly exposed to this manganese exhaust. It can uh, also be found in, in water. Yeah. Yeah. In the water supply as well. But like, look at that aluminum elimination. That's just a titanic aluminum elimination. It goes from 1.02 milligrams percent to 12.2. Um, that is just astronomical, you know, and we are kind of living through what some research researchers call the aluminum age. Chris Exley and a lot of those, yeah, Chris Exley and a lot of those researchers in the UK who've done some phenomenal work on elucidating the specific mechanisms of aluminum toxicity, particularly with respect to developmental delays. I won't say the exact word, but then also. Um, <laughs> good work, Clark. Neurodegenerative conditions, yeah, right? Stay on these platforms. It's where yes. the people need us. Exactly. But we are exposed to aluminum. Aluminum is the most ubiquitous of the heavy metals. It's very common geogenically. I think it's the third most abundant element in the Earth's crust. Mm -hmm. But the bioavailability of aluminum is is sort of bound up by its by it being bound up to rock geogenically. But in the last hundred years, aluminum is used for thousands of industrial purposes. It's used as an anti-caking agent. It's used in certain medicines. I won't say which ones, but people then- People are slathering it on as deodorant. They're slathering it on as deodorant. It's used in the water supply. you want to see a really high aluminum level, are you ready for a really high aluminum level, Clark? Uh, yes, let's go. I'm ready. Wow. That's the initial, right? Yes. Whew. That this is... was in someone drinking a lot of energy drinks. I think I remember you telling me about this case. So people think this isn't a big deal. Right. Wow. Right. You know, for, for my money, I want to be making sure that my heavy metal levels in my body are as low as possible. And I didn't bring this paper up, but one of the things that shifted my thinking on this as well was, um, in one of the best heart disease studies they've ever done, mm. it was called the QAPO heart study over in Finland. Mm -hmm they measured hair tissue mercury levels along with blood omega-3 levels and inflammatory levels. Are you familiar with this? I think I've heard of it, yeah. And so what they found is the men with the highest level of mercury in their hair had the highest risk of death overall. Mm -hmm. So this is, you know, what Clark and I are doing is very on the cutting edge of integrative natural functional medicine, whatever you choose to call it. Mm. Um, but the science is, the mainstream science is absolutely there to support it. And that's wow. why you know, we're not surprised to see people getting better with our protocols, even though we don't have double-blinded, randomized, placebo-controlled, multi-center clinical trials to back it up. Right. But, and that's, yeah, yeah. There, you know, a lot of this is on the cutting edge. A lot of what Dr. Eck worked out, which is sort of the main guy who started using hair analysis in this way and, and mineral balancing, he figured out a lot of things clinically. And a lot of those things that he figured out clinically, the literature is catching up to what he figured out. So um really remarkable his contributions to this want to shout out dr paul eck um and the people at analytical research labs his children still run that lab that hair testing lab that we use um you know his work is just remarkable it is dropping a couple uh links into the um chat here we look forward to seeing many of you in the next HTMA course of coaching. Again, we plan on, well, we're going to sell that out before the end of the month. So get on the wait list when yeah. it comes out and is available, act fast so that you can get your spot. The price is going to increase after this round. We haven't decided to what, but right now it's uh, 996. I think it's 332 monthly for three months. And that gets you one coaching call per week. That's usually one and a half to two hours. Mm. And we have a, uh, we have a lot of fun on those calls. We look forward to seeing some of you on them. Yes, absolutely. All right, Clark, any last thoughts? Um, I think that's it, but uh, you know, hammering home this idea of this interaction between the metals and the minerals, you can't think of them as separate. No. Um, you, you have to think of them as going together. The metals substitute for the minerals. That's why when you understand that minerals are pleiotropic, they're used all across the body. The metals can substitute wherever the minerals are Metals are systemic toxicants. 
And so they can substitute wherever the minerals are. You can end up with any manner of disorders or conditions or symptoms from metal toxicity. So it's not like a local thing can be in some cases, but uh, this is why I think there's such potential in this modality to help people heal a lot of different conditions, a lot of different things that they're right. doing. And I have to tell you, I, I've seen so many people spend their time on blood tests and the blood tests have a place, they have a value. 100%. And, and I've gotten great results with blood tests. Mm -hmm. However, many people do blood tests without also looking at levels of toxins mm. or methylation or various other things. Right. Those people get singularly unimpressive results much of the time because mm. they don't understand the whole mineral system. Mm. And it isn't enough to just give people minerals that they're low in that will get you some benefit. Mm. You need to give them the minerals in the right dose to deal with the imbalances in this mineral system that are created by the heavy metals. Exactly. Exactly. So, and this is a systems based approach. It's much more you, what you're talking right. about with replacement therapy, you know, it will get you a little way down the road, but really if you want to be optimal and really mm -hmm. do some phenomenal, make some big headway with your health, balancing the whole system of minerals is really where it's at. It's why we do it. We would yeah. do other things if they worked better. Trust 100%, me. hundred percent. Yeah. So thanks everyone for watching. Take care. Have a great day and join our course.